Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's spelled S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in sparks are flying. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight I'm excited to have as my guest Michael McDonald, who is an integrity coach, a writer, facilitator, and speaker. He works with conscious leaders and entrepreneurs to help them transform their lives and their work from the inside out. He's also the creator of Relational Alchemy. These are relational workshops and meta skills for easily creating an unusual amount of intimacy with people. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Sears Matee. It's a pleasure to be on the show, and thank you for inviting me. So glad to have you. So I was struck by your description of how your relational alchemy creates an unusual amount of intimacy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm kind of an intimacy junkie, I must admit, so that really got my attention. And so maybe you can start by telling us, do you have an unusual amount of intimacy in your life? Uh, I would say, yeah. My relationships and my relationship style and especially the experiences I've had, uh, especially over the last 10 years as I've been learning more about relationships and conscious relationships, have definitely not been the norm. And the definitely a Bay Area sampling of relationship experiences, both my own and also just being around a lot of interesting relationship experiences not limited to just what I've experienced. Mm-hmm. And so what, what kind of relationships um, are, do you consider yourself non-monogamous or have you been in the past? Uh, so now I actually have, I'm playing with a new term to describe my relationship style, uh, which is mm-hmm. liquid. And it's a style where instead of, defining my relationships by the, the number of people that I'm in relationship with, but rather by uh, a focus on what's possible with each person and what wants to happen with each of the relationships. So if I start getting involved with someone, my question is like, oh, does, it, isn't, what, does this fit into my model? It's what's possible with this person? What's trying to happen? And if I'm in a relationship with more people, then there tends to be more conversation, more agreements to create, navigating that. So more of the polyamorous skills are used there. But at the same time, I'm not close to being completely monogamous in a relationship. So it's sort of like being gender fluid, but in terms of relationship style. Mm -hmm. I like that because, and I think, you know, people who like to live outside the box like us, um, we're continually inventing new terms as we continue to evolve and kind of create life on our own terms. And for lack of a better term, I've been using the phrase solo poly for kind of the same reason you're talking about, where each relationship is its own thing 
and I, I don't want to practice hierarchy anymore. But some people think that solo poly means that you're not partnered with anybody, that you're just single. And um, that doesn't feel true to me at all. So I like that name of that word liquid. Um, it, it feels really interesting to play with that. So thank you for that new idea. Um, and so what okay. was your relationship history and how did you get to that point where you could practice kind of such a cutting edge way of being with people? Well, so I definitely grew up within a monogamous norm, as most people did. And uh, I think some of the formative aspects of relationships for me uh, were, first of all, my parents got divorced when I think it was about 10. And I was definitely in that mode of the romantic and the monogamous romantic and specifically the hopeless romantic subset of that Mm -hmm. where I had intense attractions and crushes for like long periods of time, which became unrequited love. And so I got, it's like I tried too hard at the monogamy thing for a really, really long time and got rejected all of those times. Uh, And that lasted for a long time, like into college. I Mm -hmm. still had not successfully entered into a relationship, Mm. sort of hitting my head up against the the monomyth of relationship. And there's this point where I basically broke or I just gave up around relationships during sometime during college and just devoted myself to my work. I have found ways to distract and focus elsewhere. It's just like, it wasn't really a conscious choice. It was just the, the fuse blew on relationships. So in a way, like that period of not pursuing relationship uh, gave me a breather. And I did end up getting into a a nice like healing one year intense relationship. I think I was 28 when I had my first relationship. And this was like mm-hmm. after I'd moved to California. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like part of my Saturn returns was shaking up all different aspects of my life. And part of that was getting into my first relationship. Mm-hmm. So that healed a lot, but it still mm-hmm. wasn't conscious. My communication skills still sucked. And I still didn't have a sense of like creating agreements or being really honest and communicative within relationship. Uh, it's more that I like had studied a lot of sexuality and got really comfortable there, but the relationship stuff I didn't quite figure out until after mm-hmm. that relationship fell apart. Mm-hmm. And so that relationship did end kind of badly. And I was left in the, the whirlwind of that. And that's when I got interested in learning more about relationships. That's where I started mm-hmm. uh, studying, learning from teachers. Um, I studied pickup for a while. I was in that crowd who was just like learning everything they could about social dynamics. And fortunately, uh, that got uh, let go as I discovered some much more authentic work. Mm -hmm. I got connected with some of the circling 
community in San Francisco and some of the men's work there. Mm-hmm. And so I started, while not in a relationship, I started being surrounded by people who were very conscious and creative or at least deconditional about the ways that they were relating. Like mm-hmm. They were not attached to any norms. They were questioning everything. Uh, It wasn't always to healthy results, but it was at least that stage of, like, letting go of the defaults. Like, well, why Mm -hmm. would you want to do it that way? Um, Mm -hmm. I want this, so what's wrong with that? Or, like, I want this, you want this. Can we both stand in this paradoxical space and see what happens? Mm. Where there's a higher level of consciousness brought to the relationship. Mm. So while not in a relationship, I started getting the download of all these ideas and I started thinking about relationships in this completely new way. So really a lot of my learning didn't come from tons of experience as much as blowing a fuse and then like slowly coming back, but in a communal environment with much more various and I think much more healthy and much more conscious relationship ideas and explorations where anything is possible and there's no rule book. Uh, There is like honoring each other, but it's building it up from scratch, like Mm -hmm. really creating authentic relationships. So as I started getting into relationships, that's the model that I came from, from then on. And it feels weird and artificial to think about relationships in the old way uh, sort of like the oh, I call it the default monogamy way, mm-hmm. where yeah. it's just like the platonic ideal, and there's sort of the sense of you own each other, and um, yeah, there's just like a, a lots of nastiness that I see within that, and lots of unconscious behavior. Yeah, well, I like. I mean, I'm sure it was really painful at the time that you didn't have any relationships for the most of the early part of your life, um, but it's really cool that you didn't get programmed into that kind of default monogamy world so that you, you know, you learned about how to just hold what is and not have this um, prescribed story and expectations that so many of us have. So that kind of makes you well suited for, um, you know, holding space for people and knowing that with relationships, things are just not either or black and white. They're, they're always shifting and we're all, we're all unique beings who are also constantly dynamic. Totally. And one of the things that I've been integrating more over the last maybe like two years is I've realized it's sort of like I went into the whole default monogamy when I was younger and then I rejected that. I pushed it away. Then I went into mm-hmm. this creating relationships from scratch territory and mm-hmm. Uh, more recently, I've been curious about, like, okay, how can I consciously reincorporate some of the things that are great about monogamy? Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily within a monogamous framework, but there's something there. So mm-hmm. learning about secure attachment, um, learning mm-hmm. about commitment, and making aspects of relationships sacred, and the value of mm-hmm. artificially closing the doors within a relationship not because it's natural, but because there's an opportunity to create something uh, in that kind of container. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. 
I've led a workshop before on what monogamous people can learn from polyamory people as far as like communication and making agreements and so forth. But I just had this thought that maybe we could do a workshop on what um, polyamorous people can learn from monogamous people. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So I like that to kind of look for what are the beautiful things about monogamy that we can bring into non-monogamy. So you, you call yourself an integrity coach. So what does that mean for you in the context of relationships? Um, So for the first several years of calling myself an integrity coach, it was just like a word that seemed to fit and everyone agreed with, but I didn't really have a definition yet for it myself. Uh, there's a very common definition that floats around that integrity means doing what you say you'll do, which I find uh, it's a nice step, but I find it also kind of reductionist at the same point mm-hmm. um, at the same time. So now it gets a little mystical. Um, I think of integrity as that force in the universe that has things want to come into alignment and that doing integrity work has more to do with getting out of the way of integrity that Mm. wants to happen rather than it being something that you need to do or some sort of obligation or some sort of marker. It's like things want to come into integrity. Like when you learn to stand up straight, if you get like a chiropractic adjustment or something, it'll feel weird, but you also realize at the same time, part of you will realize, no, actually this is more right it's unfamiliar. It's weird. And especially in relationships, mm-hmm. this, this kind of stuff is sometimes very scary and very confusing, but part of you knows that actually this is more true. Mm-hmm. And so that's what fascinates me. And that kind of the guiding principle that I use within coaching. And I rarely talk about it directly. It's more just mm-hmm. a bit of a flavor of uh, how I work and how I think. And mm-hmm. specifically in relationships in the context of relationships Uh, for me integrity speaks to what wants to happen in this relationship whether it's just a beautiful interaction in the moment or whether this is going to be a relationship that lasts 60 years and it's going to go through so many different phases of the, the lives of the people involved where they're each evolving and everything's changing and they're like staying in it together. Um, it's like I have this underlying question of what wants to happen. So there isn't like a, a right or wrong model to stamp on a relationship, but there's an underlying intelligence. It's sort of like tapping into the Tao of a, of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And another aspect of integrity in relationships is uh, I think a lot in terms of level of consciousness um, when you're higher up in consciousness, everything is magical, everything is easy. Uh, you get, it's easy to hold paradox and see each other's perspectives. When you're at a lower level of consciousness, uh, it's a struggle and you're like really in your ideas and it, it really feels true and it really feels like you're being attacked and mm-hmm. you get really defensive. Uh, so one of my 
rules of thumb is to, to make your choices when you're at a higher level of consciousness. And mm-hmm. when you're at a lower level of consciousness, you're just following orders. Mm-hmm. So when making right. agreements for a relationship, for example, uh, set those when the relationship is in a great place and the communication is great. And when you're at each other's throats, that's where you're just following the rules that your higher mm-hmm. selves have set for you. Mm. Mm. And so you talk about um, getting out of your own way. And I saw something on your website about, you know, even when you're helping CEOs and, you know, really ambitious, high-level executives, that sometimes your work is really just about helping them get out of their own way, not so much about going over spreadsheets and numbers. So how do we get up, get out of our own way when like, say, for example, we're feeling jealous or we're feeling like a victim or somebody wronged us. Um, Can you give us any like tips or tricks that we can take away for (laughs) getting out of our own way? Yeah, there's, there's stages to that one because that's a big one. Um, it's the reason people have coaches because mm-hmm. there isn't a, a, just one fixed for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the short term, when, when you're really in it, um, when you're really triggered, uh, personal responsibility is some of the first layer. And I think one of the most important skills to develop, and I really think of it as a skill, is knowing when you're triggered. What are the signs? Mm-hmm having that little mental alarm bell go up, like, oh, oh, I think you're kind of triggered. You might still, mm-hmm. like, it's knowing that the, the train is a runaway train, even if you can't stop it, just knowing that it's a runaway train is mm-hmm. really important. Because if you don't know that it's a runaway train, it's going to do some damage. But if you know, suddenly you've got that, that little bit of leeway, um, and when you know slowing down and whatever you do can do to slow down and make space. So sometimes that means literally slowing down your speaking. That means getting present to your breath. That means like accessing the parasympathetic nervous system, calming the body, and often making space. If you're with someone who they're triggered as well and they're not ready to hold space for what you're going through, it's good to actually remove yourself from that interaction. Um, I actually like the practice of like, I I need to go away for 10 minutes or I need to go away for 20 minutes. And it's good to have that designed beforehand that that's a move that you can make Uh, or have safe words like, um, green, yellow, red. So you can say like yellow to indicate that you're triggered or like red, I need to leave. Right. But have that practice of like, I need to leave for 20 minutes. It doesn't, I'm not making a decision here. It doesn't mean anything about the relationship. It's a uh, red light timeout. Mm-hmm. So that's the ground Okay, So that's the, that's the first step is noticing when you're triggered and taking space so you don't act out from that place of, of um, anger or blaming. Yeah. And a good thing, a really important thing to have is outside support. Um, mm-hmm. Getting support from someone who's not you 
and who's mm-hmm. not triggered. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Whether that's the person you're in a relationship with, which might be more tricky if you're triggered about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, this is why community is so important. Um, this mm-hmm. is why having a men's circle, a women's circle, a group of peers, um, having a coach or a friend, um, or make you getting good at just like walking up to strangers and saying, it's like, can you give me a hug? I'm just having a bad day. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone will hug you. But mm-hmm. yeah, seeking outside yourself for external human support and ideally having mm-hmm. that set up beforehand. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like all the stuff around being triggered. Um, you want to design all the things that you can do before it happens. So there's, mm-hmm levels of cushioning. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, some, okay. So then you get outside support and then when your nervous system is calm and then you can come back and deal with what's going on, how do you remember to, to, cause you know, a lot of scientific studies has, have shown that, you know, living in a state of surrender what spiritual teachers have been talking about forever is really where we need to be because our prefrontal cortex is really not making the decisions as much as we think it is. (laughs) So how can we kind of get out of our own way on a daily basis? Uh, For that, that's more speaks to raising your uh, base, sort of like your baseline level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. so that you're more aware. And that's by all sorts of means, like meditation mm-hmm. is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, gratitude practices, mm. doing a lot of work on yourself um, and mm-hmm. making sure that you integrate that work. Like if you have, mm-hmm. if you fall in love with yourself, actually make sure that you're incorporating that into a, a daily practice, not just a peak experience that you had three years ago. Mm-hmm. So that you are actively, oh, not quite maintaining, but like you're actively developing your level of consciousness. Because the mm-hmm. higher up you are in consciousness, I think of it, as, of it as a ladder of consciousness. And the higher up that you are as a baseline, the, the less you're going to get triggered, the less problems you have, um, and the less sticky things are. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll go down, but you won't you won't be there for as long. Instead of mm-hmm. one conversation sending you into a tailspin for a week, you might just be a bit aggravated for like ten minutes, and mm-hmm. that might be considered the the really dramatic reaction to you. Now, the mm-hmm. more that you do your own work, um, the less all these other things become the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a big believer in community, especially for non-monogamy, because the greater culture doesn't really have our backs around that. Um, And so to be in community where other people are accepting of alternative relationship styles kind of makes all the difference in the world, I find. Um, And so what other thoughts, what other thoughts do you have about the J word whenever people hear about non-monogamy or polyamory they're like but don't you get jealous so do you have any other (laughs) thoughts about that i think of jealousy as um at least when the the word jealousy is used 
as a sign that they're coming from lower down that ladder. Uh, it's a it's a mindset of possession, of like, oh, this person is mine, or this relationship is mine, and like you can't have it. Like, and underneath it, like I I like to look underneath it, like when it happens. Like ideally, you're just kind of consciousness that the possession mindset has mostly dissolved, but when it does happen it's good to note that there are beautiful intentions underneath it. Mm-hmm. So when you experience jealousy, one of the things is look for the love that's there. You can mm. only feel jealous if there's a, a real care about that person mm. in relationship. It's mixed mm. in with these ideas of like owning a person. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to sift through to look for it, like how much you care for that person and you focus on that, you appreciate that aspect of it, then that will start to shine through. I almost like think of it as a clearing the mud off of some light and letting the light mm-hmm. shine through. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. So if you just joined us, we're speaking with Michael McDonald, who is an integrity coach. And if you'd like to ask Michael any questions, feel free to call our guest line, which is 657-383-1132, 657-383-1132. You'll be placed on hold and we'll get to your call when the, when the timing is right, so don't worry about interrupting us. Um, this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And Michael and I were just talking about um, all things relationship and monogamy versus non-monogamy. And Michael created something called relational alchemy. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so relational alchemy uh, originally was a series of relational workshops that I was leading in the Bay Area. And I, I led them for about every month, every other month, and really started them with a friend, Guy Guri. And... The intention, it's sort of an offshoot of authentic relating games where I found my own flavor that I wanted to bring to those. Mm -hmm. And it was in order to make uh, authentic relating and getting quickly into intimacy with with each other, even if they're strangers, accessible to people who had never done personal development work before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I found that it worked really well for people who had never done any sorts of workshops before. And it worked really well for people who had done a lot of workshops. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of it was figuring out facilitation wise, what created the most resonance uh, quickest, what Mm -hmm. got people to let go of the superficial intellectual conversations and definitely the default interactions to really start to see each other human to human, uh, that experience of Sandra, that experience of, oh my God, there's an entire universe standing across from me. Like that this person has a unique view into the world and uh, accessing that curiosity about that person and wanting to, to know what their world is like and finding ways to start to find out. So a lot of it was instead of 
tri- what I think of as triangulating. Most people, when they hang out, they're talking about something. Uh, and relational alchemy is uh, directly relating with each other, learning about the other person, talking about what's going on in the moment, talking about the experience that each person is having moment to moment. Mm-hmm. And magical things arise within that. I've gotten to the point where I still lead these workshops uh, a lot at Burning Man. I led one like every single day this year at Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And I'll have, I, I feel pride that I get people crying in 10 to 15 minutes. So mm-hmm. it does have the bonus of being a Burning Man workshop. Uh-huh. So they're already, it's a workshop within a workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so relational alchemy has evolved mostly in my mind as a set of meta skills in order to create intimacy. So this is something even more fundamental than relationships. The relational alchemy work doesn't really have much to say about relationships, but it has everything to say about uh, moment to moment relating. So and by mouth skills, I mean, like, not here's how to do it, but here's something that's important. Like immediacy is one of the meta skills. You'll find that in a lot of the relational practices that it's there in circling, it's there in T group, and it's there in relational alchemy. It's what's happening in this moment is the access point to everything. And when someone does something and you notice something and you share something that arises within you and then they share what arises with them with that, you have a, a live interaction, which doesn't have anything to do with ideas from a minute ago or concepts mm-hmm. of what's going to happen a minute later from then. It's mm-hmm. really zooming in to intimacy, which is really a moment to moment experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's really about being in the present moment and being curious about what's going on in you and then also in the other person, or are you mostly kind of focused on what's arising in yourself? It covers both. There's, there's mm-hmm. sort of a layering within relational alchemy, though. So it begins with being able to really share vulnerably and honestly about what's going on for you, like what are you mm-hmm. holding back, what are you feeling, like cleaning up some of the concepts, like getting some of that nonviolent communication style identification of feelings. Mm-hmm. So you're not projecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then on top of that foundation, there's getting curious about a person. And in a way, like I start having people have within total silence. Um, later on, they start talking a little bit and then it gets slightly more conversational. So it, it's really like putting a lot of constraints in order to focus on creating intimacy, then slowly letting out the reins and by design doing it in a way where keeping people in a much more connected route rather than the usual social routes of connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So eventually it does lead and, to getting to know each other. Cool. And um, can lovers use these techniques in their relationship? Definitely. Definitely. Um, How would they do that? I think like intuitively, I don't know, I guess for now it's, it's so ingrained. So one of the most important foundations is obviously eye contact. It's mm-hmm. 
really the easiest hack to intimacy. If I had to reduce relational alchemy to just doing one exercise, it would be eye gazing parties Mm. because there's so much there. Uh, Even neurologically eye contact is an instant route to creating limbic resonance to Mm. tapping into the mammalian brain, the relational emotional brains where we actually resonate with each other uh, as fellow social creatures and that also mm-hmm. uh, brings us out of the neocortex, that brings us out of mm-hmm. the usual thinking, that brings us out of verbal. Uh, in a way, when we get really intimate, we start talking like five-year-olds, like, I like mm-hmm. you. This feels mm-hmm. good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, those are the really juicy moments. <laughs> mm. like, the, like the juicy silence and the uh, also one of the things that, just having eye contact really builds is that capacity to just be with someone that is so important. And no matter how much you've cultivated it, there's always more to explore there for just being with someone and just fully listening and listening, not just with your ears, not just with your mind, but finding even new places to listen from to fully take in what's like fully taking the experience that you're having fully taking the experience of this other magnificent person that you're with. Mm -hmm. And like, that's heaven to me. Mm. Yeah. And I can imagine when you feel like your partner is fully taking you in, um, I can imagine that making me feel very desired, very and wanted which then makes me feel safe to share more of myself and it's just a positive feedback loop mm-hmm. yeah and one of the things to know about intimacy is uh, intimacy is a form of tension uh, also it, it can be framed as a form of excitement so mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be a fun challenge of like, how much intimacy can you handle? How much (laughs) can you be with? I've often had lovers tell me that my eye contact is is really intense, where I I didn't even Mm -hmm. know that I was being intense. I was just being Mm -hmm. with them. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) This this can Mm -hmm. be a a lot to be with. Um, But that's a muscle definitely worth developing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And I can remember the first time I did a workshop where there was a lot of eye contact. I remember it was super uncomfortable and I did my default behavior, which was to try to act like I was an old hat at this instead of letting people see that I was new and scared. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, could, I could, you know, and, and the, the people who had more experience, I could feel them just loving me anyway. And it just melted me out of that mask I was wearing. But um, just the other day, I led a workshop where there was quite a bit of intimacy. And one person passed on the exercise because they were clear that they just didn't want that. And it had to do with um, a group of people all saying loving things to them all at once. We call it an angel shower, where a whole group of people are telling them they're wonderful and beautiful and you know nice things about them and this one person said I'm going to pass 
So I notice that there are people who just feel really, really uncomfortable um, to receive intimacy. Um, So how do you explain that? What do you think is going on for people? Is it just that they have some trauma they haven't addressed? Is it okay that some people don't want that kind of intimacy? They're perfectly happy with it. What have you seen? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm sure they have trauma because in a way we all do. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't like the word trauma as much, but like there's opportunities for healing for Mm -hmm. everyone. Always. Mm -hmm. There's always more. Um, So I'm sure that's part of it. And I'm sure it can be explained and helped and uh, healed and developed over time. And it's also totally okay. I I don't Mm -hmm. want to make anyone wrong for having difficulties with intimacy or for having a, a low capacity or for not wanting intimacy or associating intimacy with things that they don't want. Because that's really normal. And it's really important to be accepting of that culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as we start making anyone wrong for anything, um, we're going down a, a path of separation. Right. I remember there's a couple times in relational alchemy workshops where people would come and it was too triggering for them to be in the exercises Actually, I remember one guy in particular who was too triggering to actually participate, but he just sat on the sofa during the workshop. Mm-hmm. And I talked with him later, and he said it was really edgy, but actually that he got a lot of value from just being in the room. Mm-hmm. So it's like finding, part of it is finding the right amount of engagement, finding the right container to do the work. Like for him, being on the sofa during a relational workshop without the eye contact, that nicely was his edge. And I trusted mm-hmm. him to, to find his edge. And I trust people right. um, like people who were the Burning Man workshops, if they're too edgy going into the relational stuff, they can just leave. It's a Burning Man workshop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other workshops where it's not as intense because it's not as much eye contact where sentence stems might be too vulnerable. So more of a a teaching and a lecture style can be Mm -hmm. an access point for a lot of people where they're just hearing about these ideas, like listening Mm -hmm. to this, someone who's uh, in open relationships or curious about open relationships, listening to this call or this recording, um, this could be working their edge, just like the Mm -hmm. ideas here might be like having doing the work on them they could be sitting on the sofa freaking out right now Uh, Mm -hmm. they don't need to go to a workshop to have their workshop (laughs) (laughs) but hopefully yeah and and I want these I at least want the ideas to be spread and I want um, the breadth of ideas to be more and more normalized and accessible so that um, because when these things are rare and that even includes just intimacy not just non-monogamy and polyamory but just um intimacy and eye contact is really edgy in american culture Mm -hmm. so even that could be more normalized and more spread it would do a lot of good in the culture Mm -hmm. cool so let's talk about the opposite when people are really loving the eye contact and they're feeling that (laughs) chemistry that comes up that 
you know, that turn on, that attraction. Um, how do you know whether that's a good idea to pursue a relationship or if it's just a feeling in the body to enjoy and walk away? Like, how do you know whether to go to like the next level with somebody? Mm, yeah. Um, I learned a distinction recently, which I absolutely love. It's from, okay, I see it here, Ken Page, who wrote the book Deeper Dating. Uh, he makes this distinction between attractions of deprivation and attractions of inspiration. Mm. That there's this clear, there's this bright line of, oh, am I feeling this chemistry? Am I drawn to this person because there's something missing that I think that there's some like hole in me that I think this person can fill? Or am I drawn mm. to this person because I feel more whole being with this person? Mm. Mm-hmm. And I definitely prefer the the latter. So, mm-hmm. and that's a skill, like learning to tap into that wisdom. And it's important to realize, yeah, I think of it as not thought and not feeling either, but something deeper than feeling, which I sometimes, I often refer to as wisdom, that inner mm-hmm. knowing where you just know if something is good for you or not. And mm-hmm. it's distinct from feeling. Like I think wisdom of the body is a, a, a layer, but it can, it can sometimes confuse wisdom with whether you're feeling pleasurable or pain because you can feel good, but know that it's bad. And you can feel bad, but know that it's good. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And those are the teaching moments. That's beautiful. I love that um, attract, uh, attractions of deprivation versus inspiration because so many of us go out and date when we're just lonely and we just want to fill our <laughs> life as opposed to like enjoying our own company and our life is great and, you know, choosing yeah. someone because they add to it. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm not against that either. Um, but uh, it's really like if if you have an attraction of uh, deprivation, uh, it's suddenly not so bad if, you're, if it's something that you're doing consciously. And mm-hmm. if you're consciously creating a relationship, like I sometimes refer to, uh, there's different kinds of relationships that can be formed. Some relationships are just for mutual healing. It's just like, hey, I need this and I need support as I move through this. And knowing that it's, coming from an immature place, it's more like owning that you have that, owning that there's some mm-hmm. deprivation. Because mm-hmm. we all are walking wounded. No matter how much we've mm-hmm. healed, we are still, right. we still have our quirks. So mm-hmm. owning them, bringing them to the table, um, acknowledging them. And sometimes with relationships might just be acknowledging, like, yep, this is just temporary or this is just an indulgence. Or maybe this is an opportunity for us to see if, we can heal each other a bit, which is mm-hmm. one kind of relationship. It's a valid one. It's not usually a, a long-term one, but it can mm-hmm. be an intentionally created one. Mm-hmm. So I had a guest on my show one time who said he recommends people choose the 80 to 90% attraction to someone rather than the 90 to 100% where you're just off your rocker, you know, crazy, uh-huh 
in love with someone where you're like in this like chemical brain chemistry high. Um, so can you talk about like how sexual attraction creates this hormonal state and um, why it feels so vulnerable when you're in that state? Um, I find myself turning into a teenager where I, I'm afraid to even ask someone out if I have a crush on them or I, um, I feel more jealous or um, I'm, I'm so afraid that they might not choose me back. Like all of my powerful, confident confidence and, you know, competency <laughs> in the world kind of goes down the drain when I'm feeling like a huge amount of sexual turn on. Have you thought about that before? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like that's, and that can definitely be my kryptonite as well. So I totally <laughs> fall into that one. Um, a couple of distinctions. Uh, one that was super valuable for me to realize is that there's a difference. I think of there are different, as a difference between mental attraction and sexual attraction. It's sort of like realizing that there's some women, um, I'm heterosexual, uh, there's some women that I just like looking at I don't actually it's not actually a sexual attraction I don't actually want to have sex with them I don't even actually want to interact with them it's just more of like this mental fantasy plug in there and knowing that mm-hmm. that's it like and that's as far as it's going to go and mm-hmm. I'll just decide I'll realize oh that's just something going on in my head it's not about that person mm-hmm. uh, then there's where there's actual sexual attraction where it's like oh there's turn on with this person even if it's someone that I didn't expect there to be turned on with, even if it's someone who I usually wouldn't think that I'd be attracted to, it's just like, ooh, there's energy, there's potential there. And usually for me, that's the, the spark that gets me looking for relational attraction. It's like, okay, how does it, does it feel like I, I mix with this person? Mm-hmm. And there's, both like uh, an inquiry for how we uh, actually relate moment to moment that experience. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. a little bit of the like zoomed out, like, are we compatible? Like, are there mm-hmm. any like warning signs that this might not be a good match or that I might just be entertaining one of my odd pilot patterns. So there's like both zoomed in and zoomed out. But yeah, when I've, when I'm really in crush land, um, I don't have that awareness. And it's just sort of like mm-hmm. appreciating that. It's like, yep, at these, sometimes I just turn in back into the scared little boy. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'll make a move and sometimes I won't. And usually if I do, um, I get to experience all the adrenaline. I get to experience mm-hmm. like the, um, the greatest fear and the greatest excitement. And I never regret actually going for it Um, but I don't Mm -hmm. always go for it honestly (laughs) (laughs) right Uh and so our our culture is kind of based on this idea that you're supposed to feel really turned on by someone and then choose them as your partner and it's supposed to be that way forever and then you know a year or two later we go where did the passion go Um, so (laughs) like this expectation (laughs) that it's supposed to be there forever so um, what do you recommend when that chemistry starts to wane as it inevitably does um, for partners? 
Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely a win, not if. Like it, it, it will happen. Yeah. There will be plateaus, right. and there will be. Uh, it's sort of like walking into the cloud of mist, and you, you don't know if you've fallen off the cliff or not. You just know that nothing mm-hmm. is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can think of two possible uh, considerations, like like two possible things it might mean about the relationship. Uh, one is that something is blocked, and this is probably the most common. And this is something that definitely will frequently happen in tiny ways and in large ways. Um, so if someone is withholding something, either from themselves or with the other person, if there's some sort of dishonesty or if there's fear, if someone is worried about something else, and it doesn't even have to be anything to do with the relationship, if someone is in the relationship is stressed out about money or career or someone, their family or just anything, if they're stressed out about the news, which so like the, the whole news climate has probably ruined lots of relationships over the last year or two. Right. Um, all that can kill the chemistry easily because chemistry really requires relaxation. It really requires being able to let go of the thoughts. It requires being able to relax your body, relax your energy, in order to allow sexual energy, allow creative energy to come in. Mm-hmm. But when, mm-hmm. where there is tension, uh, it's, it can't get through. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, most people, when the chemistry goes away, will start trying to figure out why which adds mm. more tension. Like mm. there, it's like something's wrong. Let me figure it out. It's like, is it this, is it this, is it this? In a way, like trying to figure out what's in the way might get even more in the way. So it's like a Chinese mm. finger trap. The more that you try to bring back the chemistry, the less likely the chemistry will be. So really requires relaxing, requires being honest. First, radically honest with yourself like, hey, am I holding anything back? And then mm-hmm. bringing that to the partner, bringing that into the relationship, if necessary. Mm-hmm. Often just mm-hmm. being honest with yourself is enough. Mm-hmm. And not adding meaning to it, not turning it into it, not making it mean anything about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like that when you're lower down the ladder of consciousness, that's not the time to be making decisions. That's mm-hmm. the time to just find the flow and trust that um, trust the instructions given by the higher selves. So whatever agreements Mm -hmm. you have, go with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other possibility is maybe there is a misalignment with this relationship. Maybe it no longer serves. Maybe Mm -hmm. the intention of this relationship is no longer matched. Because one of the things that happens is that people grow and evolve and change. And when someone changes significantly in a relationship, that really, like, that changes the, the makeup, the roles that they play in the relationship. And if the other person doesn't naturally fit into playing complementary roles, if they don't really change to match, um, then there's something disjoined. So it either means that person changes or there's a conversation to be had Mm -hmm. of like, hey, 
I, this seems to be the dynamic now. It's like, this mm-hmm. is, seems to be the game that I'm playing, and this is the game that you're playing. We're playing different games. It's like mm-hmm. one person is playing tennis, one pace, person is playing football. Um, different <laughs> rules. <laughs> and yeah. it's good to note that you're playing different games. <laughs> right, and that seems to be the real trick, is to not make it mean that you're not lovable, that you're not desirable or wanted. It's just that relationships and people always evolve to something else. Yeah. And it doesn't even mean that the relationship will end, but it does mean that the relationship does need to transform in some way. Like Mm -hmm. when a part of a system changes, the whole system changes, allowing that change to emerge. And that might mean totally reinventing the relationship. Sometimes Mm -hmm. something will happen and it'll be disjoint, but then realize that, no, actually, this is perfect because this can actually become an even better relationship than it was before with these new mm-hmm. ingredients. And others right. would be like, okay, yeah, this doesn't work anymore, or this needs to change into something very different. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why like, right. some people who are polyamorous become monogamous or people who are monogamous open up the relationship through mm-hmm. um, things like this, where there's a mm-hmm. shift. Mm-hmm. Right. So we just have a little bit more time, and I promised when I promoted this show that you would share the best practices for resilient relationships. So can you share a few of those um, with us before we end? Okay. There's a lot of them. So I'll share Mm -hmm. a a very few. Um, The first, like the first time I took a polyamory workshop, uh, it turned out the whole workshop was about contracts, which was beautiful and was really informed how I think about relationships. I'm a huge fan of teasing out, like, like so make an inventory of things that are worrying, uh, expectations that you have of each other, um, conscious or unconscious, uh, make the unconscious conscious in order to do this and anything that you're just worried about and you can turn those into agreements like, okay, here's what I agreed to do. And definitely making these agreements based on actions, not on feelings, because mm-hmm. you might fall in love with someone else. You might feel really turned on. You might feel like you will like feel turned on. You will feel bad. You'll have uh, emotional days, but Agreements around around what you agree to do, and that's not getting someone to fulfill your expectations. Mm-hmm. It's something that you sit down and you co-create, where you work it out so that you both create agreements. And a lot of the magic in relationship is just intentionally doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the ground floor, I think like attunement is so important. And the advice I give around attunement for your partner or partners is assume that you are less attuned than you think you are. Mm. No matter if you think that you're masterful or if you have, don't have a clue, just assume that you're less attuned than you think you are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that will put you on a slightly better path. That's some of the best advice, uh, in addition to the, the hardcore agreement, that's some great advice for a consent culture as well. 
Like just, yeah, assume you're more clueless than you think. And so if you're and assuming that you're more clueless than you think, then you would need to ask more questions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So asking more questions, more checking in, um, mm-hmm. assume that you're missing signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually this also means being, uh, assuming it about yourself, like mm-hmm. that you're less attuned to yourself than you think you are. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. like if they start saying, like, are you hiding something? Are you sad? And like, no, I'm not sad. You could actually pause and check. Like maybe I'm less attuned uh-huh. than I think I am. Huh. Mm. I wonder, is there sadness in there somewhere? It might be a little bit, mm-hmm. but just mm. intellectual at the moment, but maybe they can, mm-hmm. maybe they're onto something. Mm. Uh, Beautiful. And, I love that because we so often think that we know ourselves better, but to trust that the other person might be sensing something that we're not aware of and seeing it as a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One and more overall, before we end, one more resilient okay. practice. <laughs> All right. One more. Um, to th- I think of relationships as designed. So it's not thinking of a relationship style and then trying to plug yourself into that as much mm-hmm. as getting together and creatively designing the relationship. And I think of it as a combination of designing the freedom of the relationship. A lot of uh, non-monogamy is about like starting from scratch and starting with freedom, um, but also designing the focus. Uh, where do we want to intentionally seal off the exits? Where do we intentionally, what do we want to do in order to create more focus between us? And how much focus do we want? So, yeah, and when things break, um, have those conversations and put them back together again. Consider mm-hmm. the relationship being anti-fragile, not just resilient, mm-hmm. but like that each time you have a breakdown, each time you have a fight, it's going to come back stronger. Mm. Beautiful. I love that. Boy, I could dig into that one farther, but we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you so much, Michael. I've just loved hearing all your wisdom about relationships and intimacy. It was really a joy to have you on the show. And I want to give you a minute to tell our listeners how they can, how they can reach you. Well, um, I'm primarily a coach. And uh, my invitation is if there's something that I said here that interested you, kicked something loose or started a shift within you, I'd love to hear from you. So send me an email. Uh, my email is michael at authenticintegrity.com. And no commercial offering, just an opportunity to start a conversation. Great. Well, that's an easy website. Just don't have to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Well, so thanks again fun. for being on the show. Yeah. Really good to have you, Michael. It was quite a pleasure. And I wish yeah. you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Please join us next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, where we speak with Dr. Hazel Grace Yates, who is a sexuality and intimacy coach specializing in overcoming abuse and trauma. Please join us at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, Leading Edge Love Radio, next Tuesday night. Good night, everyone. <laughs>